Hello, and welcome back to ARC, a Tolkien podcast. Um, here with me today is Charlie. And What's I up? Um, we're actually uh, recording from a studio together. Um, yeah, in person. In person. Yeah. So, uh, well... Uh, it's just to just remind everybody, most of these episodes, all except I think two up to this point, were recorded over Skype, Facebook chat, something like that. So this is... a. Uh, special occasion where we actually are together in the same room recording the podcast that's very rare um and today we are it's a special occasion for multiple reasons we're here together Mm -hmm. uh and this is the final chapter of the lord of the rings Uh, we are at book six chapter nine the gray havens yeah can i just say let no one ever say i have commitment issues again right i have right 64 chapters right i think 64 something like that Still doing it. Still here. We made it to the end. I've sent several emails to my exes. Absolutely. Let them know. Letting them know. Excuse me. Yeah. Issues. None whatsoever. It's just that none of them could compare to the Lord of the Rings. That's right. My true love. Um. Well. So uh, continuing on this. Um, that the, make you uncomfortable. I think that made you uncomfortable. I'm a little bit uncomfortable in person. Uh, well, you just um, intolerance. A little summary for this chapter. Um. So we are in the final chapter, and the chapter starts off with the aftermath of the effect that uh, Sar- Saruman has had on the uh, on the Shire. And so it starts with the travelers, the uh, four hobbits going and freeing the prisoners, the prisoner hobbits that had been kept uh, in, in uh, uh, jail during this time. It moves on to Sam uh, doing some restoration work with the, uh, the flora of the uh, Shire. Um, there have been uh, trees that have been cut down, and Sam takes his gift from Galadriel, which, if you remember, is some ash from uh, Lothlorien in a uh, in a seed, and he restores some of the uh, trees of the Shire, and he plants actually a mallorn tree, and so the, the Shire grows a uh, a very fast growing mallorn tree. Yeah, Sam gets married to Rosie. He starts to have a family, and he moves in with Frodo, and Sam has a, a daughter. And then kind of the final part of this chapter is that Frodo um, and Sam leave the Shire under kind of the guise of seeing uh, Bilbo for his uh, is it 131st first birthday, I think. Um, it's uh, He's now, I think, the longest-lived hobbit uh, of all time. And uh, But then it turns out that actually Frodo is leaving Middle-earth. Um, so they meet Galadriel and El- Elrond on the road. And it's revealed that Frodo is actually leaving for good, um, and Sam will have to stay behind. And they meet, they go out into the shores uh, where where there's the the final uh, parting. Um, Gandalf is there, and they Frodo gets on the the ship, and they depart. And then Sam, Merry, and Pippin return back to Middle Earth. Yeah, and the the full cast of folks who leave. You have Frodo, Bilbo, Gandalf, Elrond, Galadriel. Um, in a way, it's 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 the end of the myth, right? Mythic world is ending. All the mythic people are heading out, and it's sort of the age of uh, I don't know mankind or something. Uh, which, by the way, uh, I've talked before on this podcast that uh, I feel like there's not enough done about Tolkien and potential classical influences, but the Homeric epics are about that same theme. By the way, the age of uh, great men and gods and big heroes ending mm. uh, to make way for a more modern sort of time period. And it's the same theme here, so I'm, I'm convinced there's something going on there. There's no way that Tolkien wouldn't have been aware of that, right? So I think it's it's a similar theme. Um, 
Yeah, anyway, so it's an incredible ending, I think, actually. And I was struck by it differently reading it this time around. And do we want to just dive into, like, the meaning of this ending? I, or do we... You want to save it for the end? Let's go get through the chapter and then. So we want to, let's do that. We can start working through the chapter. Let's do that. We'll start at the. We've done this before. Radical. We'll start at the beginning of the chapter. We'll, we'll go to the middle. And then, then we'll to go the to the end. end. Last. All right, all right. So I'll save my thoughts on the ending though. Um, let's talk about the beginning of the chapter. Restoring the Shire. I think that's really kind of where it starts. That's right. Yeah. Thoughts. I think so. First thoughts. I enjoyed the rescuing of the prisoners. I thought that was short, but I don't know. It's it's. Uh, it's a theme in the Lord of the Rings um, that's being re- reflected here. The you see people who have come back from being, you know, maybe like playfully evil because these are hobbits, right? So we have uh, Labella, who is the the evil, you know, sort of family member hobbit for uh, for Frodo with you know stealing of the um, you know, various like trinkets from from Bilbo and etc. Um, yeah. And you know, then it turns out that real evil had happened, and she was taken by it. And then now it's, it's she, she becomes a kind of, person. She, she becomes yeah. a kind person, and she is kind of has a similar kind of redemption arc. I thought it was like, oh, she's like a little Hobbit uh, Boromir, I guess. You know, it's, it's, she has a little redemption arc, and I thought that was nice because it's it's kind of bringing it home for it's not just um, you know an epic prince of a great kingdom who has you know a, a majestic arc. It's also something smaller. It's it's someone who used to steal umbrellas is now giving back to her community, and. So I actually really like the quote here that was, Frodo was surprised and much moved. She had left all that remained of her money and of Lothos for him to use in helping hobbits made homeless by the Troubles. So that feud was ended. And so it kind of, the, the, I like the the quote there is the feud was ended. It's not just that, oh, and so she did a good thing. It was that something, there was closing of this uh, confrontation. But I don't think the confrontation was between Frodo and her. It's like the feud of, you know, for her uh, her soul, perhaps. Um, okay. Anyway, so these are the deep cuts you're getting here on <laughs> our Tolkien podcast. So please go back and re- re-listen to all the old episodes. <laughs> please do. Actually, I'll talk about uh, more of those later. As far as old, listen back to old episodes, excuse me. But on this chapter two, I'm struck by how Edenic the Shire becomes. It really becomes better. We've talked before about the problems of the Shire, and in theory, it's becoming better. It's more linked with the outside world. The Malorn tree is from Lorien, right? It people visit although there's also that note somewhere in the book that everyone bans men from visiting the shire so but this chapter does say that people will visit so i don't know how that works but not that big a deal i guess it's a mature shire it's better shire it's improved shire using the knowledge that the heroes have gained in the outside world and that's great and but it's, it's such a paradise and i just want to uh draw on a line here it's such a paradise in tolkien's mind he describes this one moment here where he talks about uh the fruit is so plentiful that young young hobbits very nearly bathed in strawberries and cream, and later they sat on the lawns under the plum trees and ate until they had made piles of stones like small pyramids or the heaped skulls of a conqueror, and then they moved on. What a contrast with what Tolkien sees as sort of the ultimate problem with uh, mankind, this, lot, this desire for power and control and domination, conquering, and this contrast of the, the idyllic world that they have now made where they eat fruit and they instead of piling skulls like conquerors they pile like the pits of plums like conquerors and they move on they don't even relish it necessarily and that's his ideal world right that that's you know his eden his paradise whatever you want to call it um and that's yeah that's what we have here yeah absolutely i i wrote down that line too because i 
thought it was just I was struck first by the prose because you're having you know oh strawberries and cream and then uh, the heap skulls of a of a conqueror and I thought yeah. ah that's uh different um but yeah it, and it really draws attention to it um I like that you called out um the importance of and then they moved on I think yeah. Tolkien really has um is trying to communicate something about uh letting go of uh your desire for permanence yeah um like throughout this book we see people who desire to have like everlasting uh uh life let's say like with the power of the ring that's seen as that's negative right you should not try to cling to to permanence and we see people who grapple with loss uh even in this chapter where loss is not necessarily bad they can be sad and things move on um but it's not necessarily something that you need to try to avoid Hundred mm, percent. Um, it's a very there's all this domesticity, so to speak, happening here, right? Sam settling down, getting married, having a family. Uh, that's going to come up again at the end, but I just want to point out that Tolkien is including that in his again idyllic Shire. I'll come. I'll circle back to that, but just note uh, that's part of it. We see that the meta-ness as well. That for all of Sam's questioning in Book Four about or perhaps we're in a story, what kind of story are we in, etc. They now are. They're writing it down officially. So we have the actual book that Frodo, Bilbo, and he's leaving some time for Sam too, some space at the end for Sam uh, to write. That is uh, titled here, The Downfall of the Lord of the Rings and the Return of the King. Um, yeah, I think that's a nice way to wrap it up. Thoughts on that? I, mean, I don't know. Yeah, Do you have any I, thoughts on I, that? I think we kind of covered it before. We have. Episodes. Yeah. Um, you know, I actually... Uh, I didn't want to skip over the the rosy thing because actually, oh, I okay. Some, so yeah. you and I, so Charlie and I, we were having some some beers last night preparing for the podcast and yeah. just kind of reminiscing a little bit. And one thing that came up, you were talking about the the religious religiousness, of, religiosity, religiosity yeah. of this book. And actually, something here I thought was I didn't notice last time I read this, but Sam has this conversation with Frodo where he is really torn on the inside because he wants to stay with Frodo. And, but then he also wants to have a family. Mm-hmm. And the way I was reading it this time is that Frodo here is, you know, a, his role in this relationship to Sam, Frodo is kind of a religious figure, right? Like Frodo has done the, you know, sure. I mean, everybody, everybody is Jesus, right? Like they have done, he has done some sort of resurrection thing, right? But, but Frodo like represents, you know, Sam's connection to, you know, uh, to like maybe something bigger than himself. Um, and he's torn because he doesn't think he can actually live in the real, like have his own real life and be a part of that. And Frodo says, no, there's room in my house, right? You know, it's oh very- Oh my gosh, I didn't pick up on this. Yeah, it's, oh, I mean, it's very, you know, right, though. Yeah. it's very Christ-like. There's yeah. room in my house for everyone, right? You yeah. know, um, and there, in my house there are many, I've prepared many rooms, yep. right? Yeah. And so Frodo literally has many rooms and he says, um, Sam, you have live your actual life. Like you don't actually have to choose between. So maybe the lesson here is you don't actually have to choose between living a life, a real life and being a part of something bigger than yourself. And I think that Tolkien in this chapter, like really tries to say, like I, my reading of it is that he's really trying to say living a real life is, is good and not something uh, that excludes you from being a part of something bigger than yourself. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, I, I always miss these 
religious references that you pick up on it cracks me up all right next chronologically we're getting i mean now we're getting toward the end of the chapter so we've set the stage idyllic shire i think this, this is important why is the shire idyllic trees are back um it's connected with the outside world better mm-hmm. uh than it was uh hobbits are defending themselves i don't think i mentioned that actually it's mentioned that too the hobbits defend themselves these days right mary pippin uh get to run things as far as keeping folks out um attacking bandits that kind of thing domestic life big time is there domestic life merged with that sort of higher calling stuff is is there okay now we're at the end lots of stuff to unpack here frodo leaves frodo's departure in universe is just him leaving to go to the undying lands obtain healing for his wounds that's it thematically frodo dies you know what i'm saying absolutely frodo this is so i'm going to refer to this as frodo's death frodo dies essentially uh at the end of this i am well aware that i he's not physically dying in the universe and stuff oh excuse me actually he's gonna go to the undying lands and he'll die later undying lands not dying lands uh but thematically he, he he dies here now Leading up to this, we kind of haven't mentioned it, but for all this idyllicness in the Shire, Frodo wasn't able to really properly experience it, right? He kept saying things like, oh, I have a wound that will never heal. The Shire has been saved for you, but not for me. Uh, He can't fully appreciate it. He can't really sort of interface with the Shire as it is, even though it's now like better and it's like perfect and he can't get there because of what he's had to go through, right? It's a sort of PTSD. There's a lot you could bring in here as far as sort of a soldier returning home from war kind of feeling but i don't even think you need to go that far going through such bleak circumstances it is hard to come back and it's hard to even if you could see this sort of better life at home it's like it's it's gonna be hard to like really get into it and you're kind of permanently changed i've talked before i think on this podcast maybe i haven't actually it reminds me of an f scott fitzgerald quote from uh, one of his books tender is the night where he talks about how suffering people talk that suffering is like a scar or like healing wounds and scars like that but he mm-hmm. says it's actually not that it's more like the loss of a finger right uh, it's it's permanent you know what i'm saying you can get used to it potentially but you're never you don't get the finger back so to speak maybe I'm using finger here because frodo did lose a finger but right, yeah. uh, but I, I believe the original line does say something like that uh in tenders the night there which uh i actually don't even think that's a great book but uh, it's a good line at least uh out of that book I guess Tolkien's getting out here. The kind of suffering Frodo's gone through. This is this is permanent. This is not scars. This is he's not going to be the same again. Um, and there's not much he can really do about that. And in the end, he's just going to have to essentially die again and go to a sort of heaven. And that's that. Yeah, and it's interesting that the way it's contrasted here with with Sam, right? So yeah. it's great to have these two different takes on how someone can be affected by by the sort of trauma that they go through. Yeah. One thing I thought was kind of neat is the traveling song that Frodo sings as they're, uh, so Frodo and Sam yep. are leaving the Shire. Yeah, thought, yeah. And, you know, and then he, the quote is, presently, uh, the, talking about Sam, presently he became aware that Frodo was singing softly to himself, singing the old walking song, but the words were not quite the same. And so Frodo starts, you know, it's poetry and Frodo starts singing um, and then it's the text says, and as if in answer from down below, coming up the road uh, out of the valley, voices sang, and then it turns out it's uh, a host of uh, great mythical beings. It's Elrond and it's Galadriel, and so I thought that was 
I thought that was great how, because, you know, in Tolkien, we um, have said many times um, that uh, he saw the world as a song. That's part of his mythology is the world is, you know, is a song and there's something very important about music um, in this world. Uh, and I like how Frodo's connecting with the almost theological with using song to connect, right? Yeah. On, on the note of that song, keep on the song he sings is the old walking song. It showed up book one, chapter three or four, somewhere around there. It's an old song. We talked about it then. I talked about Tom Shippey, talked about this song getting its lyrics changed throughout the book to reflect character circumstances. And I just want to highlight that for us again. This is the same song from earlier in the book. Lyrics slightly changed to reflect Frodo's current circumstances that he um, knows he's essentially he's going to go to the Undying Lands. I want to read this song for you real quick. Uh, it says, Still round the corner there may wait a new road or a secret gate. And though I oft have passed them by, a day will come at last when I shall take the hidden paths that run west of the moon, east of the sun. Frodo has, as Tom Shippey points out, uh, I think this is an author of century book. Frodo has uh, sort of adapted the lyrics, applied them to his current situation. He is about to take those paths, those hidden paths, so to speak. Right. Um, I love that he's just tweaking older songs that the Hobbits used to just be singing about their own travels. In other words, those old songs, even though they couldn't have known it at the time, still had some truth. Like there's this kernel of truth in these old songs, and all it takes is tweaking. But really, Frodo was engaging with this theme of death, essentially, from his earliest days. You might not right. have noticed it at the time, but he was. And now here he is at the end. He's able to realize that, tweak the song a little bit. Um, actually, wait, should we wait? Let's compare. Should we get the original, just for the record, and see what the original one looked like? All right, so we got it. All right, so here's here's the original. First shows up. Um, Still round the corner, there may wait. A new road or a secret gate. And though we pass them by today, tomorrow we may come this way and take the hidden paths that run towards the moon or to the sun. And so then one more time for what we have in Return of the King here at the last chapter. Still round the corner, there may wait. A new road or a secret gate. And though though I oft have passed them by, note the I there, a day will come at last when I shall take the hidden paths that run west of the moon, east of the sun. There's a sort of uh, certainty in Frodo's version. The finality. Yeah, it's definitely happening. The original one had tomorrow we may come this way and take these paths. Frodo's saying a day will come at last when I shall take these. Tweaking it slightly, but it's still the same overall theme, just like repurposed, but he's been engaging with that his whole life. And I think what a Tolkien-esque commentary on stories and myths those same stories and myths you've been hearing all your life are communicating things to you, meaning that, that, that help you make sense of your life, just as Frodo's doing with his his uh, song here. And just as I would argue this book does uh, for anybody reading it. So, And the commentary is that it's, it is the same song, but it mm -hmm. changes over time through this natural uh, process of it, the ideas being applied to particular situations. Yeah. So on to the actual Frodo passing memorable ending i'm struck this time let me put it this way historically when i remember this ending i'm hung up on the sort of it's oh it's sad that frodo dies essentially it's emotional it's sad i'm struck this time by something i didn't notice before it's not just sad there's a real element of darkness to this it is not necessarily the most uplifting ending say more about that yeah so looking at the end here it's beautiful at first. I mean, Frodo dying is emotional, but it's also beautiful. There's the white ship. The, the, the ships, the seas, the gray rain curtain, far green country under a swift sunrise. Text, uh, that same passage we saw in book one, by the way, Frodo had a dream 
when he was at Tom Bombadil's house and had that same vision. And it alludes to that here. He said, it, it seems, as far as, as, yeah, as, as all this ship, it seemed to him that in his dream in the house of Bombadil, that as in his dream in the house of Bombadil, excuse me. Uh, so, the, the, you know, the book acknowledges he saw this before. Now he's seeing it for real. And that's really beautiful. It's touching. And it's like, ah. Here's where I think it's dark. And I almost forget about this. Look how short this is. Three paragraphs left in the book. Right after that beautiful thing, it says, But to Sam, the evening deepened to darkness as he stood at the haven. And as he looked at the gray sea, he saw only a shadow on the waters that was soon lost in the west. There still he stood far into the night, hearing only the sigh and murmur of the waves on the shores of Middle Earth. And the sound of them sank deep into his heart. Sam sees a shadow. It's not necessarily super beautiful for him. He's left behind. And it's kind of dark and then you think okay well maybe there's some redemption here for sam but look they he walks back home with not excuse me not walks they ride back home uh he mary and pippin but they're silent the whole time sam gets home um mary and pippin it says get to ride on and they start singing when they leave sam at his home doesn't say sam does that he goes home inside the home there's a light a fire it's very domestic he's got that domestic Id idyllicness but all he does he gets to go in Says he drew a deep breath. Well, I'm back, he said. That's it. That is ambiguous. Think about it, right? Yeah, he that's just interesting. Saw, he, like I, a shadow and stuff. It was really sad. He silently goes back and just sits back at his home and says, well, I'm back. Is that, like, nice? I mean, how how impacted is he by this? Is is he is this, like, a sort of a sneaky, dark ending in a way? Yeah, um, you know, that's funny because I, I see what you're saying. I, I do not read it that way. Um, right. But I definitely see how that's open to interpretation. It's ambiguous, it's, it's ambiguous. right? Yeah. Um, Notice, it, it, the, as far as I want to close the loop of my domestic thing, I was pointing out that's part of the idyllicness. But in here, that's what Sam goes back to. And it's not super clear that that's satisfying him. Maybe. But all he says is, well, I'm back. I guess. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I would say, to me, it does... I I don't feel that it's so dark. I guess I understand what you're saying about it. It's it isn't clear about whether exactly. how Sam responds, no. but he does. He 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 draws a deep breath and says, "Well, I'm back." And he has his daughter on his lap, and there's a he goes into his home. There's a yellow light and a fire inside, and the evening meal is ready. I I can't help but feel like this is Sam coming to terms with with Frodo's departure. I think he. I can see that too. Yeah. I, I definitely don't think it's guaranteed. I just, I'm struck by, it's sort of both ambiguous, maybe just ambivalent. Maybe there's just good and bad things here. I almost felt like maybe it was alluding, though, to that, the inevitable decline of everything, right? Um, the Shire, oh, it's so idyllic, but actually even not so much. Frodo has to leave. Um, That's right. He can't be there. So even from Sam's perspective, that idyllicness doesn't stay, right? His I don't know. Frodo has to leave, and that's that hurts him, and... He can go back to it, but uh, it's not quite the same. That's true. I I almost see it as suggesting a continuation, though, because you know we have the so we have the the theme that things must end, and so Frodo has to leave, um, and Sam is affected by it certainly. But then when he goes home, there is there's life, right? There's a, right. a fire and food and and, and uh, his progeny. Um, mm -hmm. I think this is more of sort of like the the sun outlasting the dark or you know star outlasting the darkness sort of situation where it's mm. this is how like so we know that life continues but this is how it happens. Yeah. And there was yellow light and fire within much like the star 
in the, the light, right? I mean, it's the a stars flame imperishable, that, uh, right? yeah, the flame imperishable reflected the, back on the earth. Um, the stars that we talked about were like the, the things that the light and high beauty that was forever beyond the shadow's reach. Uh, I definitely, absolutely, I, I'm not saying I'm wedded to the idea that this is dark, but I was struck by the possibility that it was there. I see, and the potential ambiguity. I would say I bet the pleasant interpretation is the standard. Way I would that people agree. Read it. Yeah, I think so, but yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah. So like, that's one way you could look at it. A couple other notes on the well, I'm back line. For all its ambiguity, it was not the original ending. Originally, Tolkien had written stuff after this, and he uh, cut it. So we ended here. Hmm. And I think that's interesting. It was initially far less ambiguous. <laughs> Let me tell you <laughs> that, right? Well, I'm back, and then and he goes and writes some of the book and has a great family life, and it is much. If you read a, the pick up Christopher Tolkien's History of Middle Earth series, read the stuff on this uh, paragraphs. You can see the other drafts of things he wrote after this where that ambiguity is not there. But I also think in the end, we don't have those paragraphs anymore. Right. Um, we it's have to kind there, of make do with so... what we have in it. I love that he changed it, though. Thank God. I think it's uh, better for it. I like that there's this hint of ambiguity. I also like that he changed it. I love – I think it's really important that the last line is well and back because I want to use the sort of positive interpretation of the ending here for a minute. Uh, Sam is back here at the end. He's back in almost like paradise again, right? Um, but almost like what it was like before he even went on his journey. I think it's really interesting that he's not really back until Frodo leaves. Hmm. And I mean, obviously, on, on one level, he's only saying this to Rosie, to Rosie and Eleanor and, because yeah. I'm back from my two-week trip to the Great Havens. That's all he means. But on, I think, a thematic level, for this to be the last line in the book, you know, it's he's back because all traces of that um, mythical age have gone. He's now back in idyllic Shire. But it's, you know, he had to leave, lose Frodo for that. I think that's interesting. There is, um, oh, something I, just uh, interesting to mention about this chapter is you actually, you get a the omniscient narrator yeah. who describes describes heaven. Yes, right? so yes. So you've actually, so the, it's not just that you come up, you know, um, from the point of view of the observer, you come up to the shores, Frodo gets on the ship, he leaves and you see him go away. That's not what happens. What you see in the chapter is Frodo gets on the ship, and it's from his perspective that you get it first, and you you see what Frodo sees as he leaves Middle Earth, and then are you know uh, is approaching the shores of the uh, of the West, yeah. um, and then you then you go back to the shore, and so you actually get this sort of forgive the metaphor, but the camera stays on Frodo uh, mm-hmm. longer. And actually, I thought it was really interesting. Bombadil is mentioned. What a weird yeah. time to mention Tom Bombadil. Just like, oh, hey, remember Tom Bombadil? Yeah. Yeah. On and, one and hand, they have to. Sure. Right? I mean, well, maybe he doesn't. I don't, I don't think know. they have. They it don't... is the same line, right? The description is the same as Frodo's dream when he that he had at Tom Bombadil's house. Yes, that's true. However, I but think it is odd. What too. if he didn't? I mean, we just mentioned the walking song, and it does say it is the old walking song, but it's not super. The one that Bilbo said. You know, he's not, right, he's, not, yeah. he's not saying the one as said back when they were on this specific road. It just kind of says, oh, the old walking song. He could have said something like, as Frodo once saw in a dream or something like that here. So you're right. There's a deliberateness there's, to the text to mention Bombadil's name and associate it with this. Bombadil, is, yeah. we don't know from this text. We don't have what Bombadil does. Right. Right. So, um, I mean, I think. You know, this is my personal bias that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe evidence that Tom Bombadil, like, you know, is some sort of like very like for me, he is some sort of uh, very tightly wound to just what existence is here. Like the yeah. actual physical reality of 
the physicalness of what Middle Earth is. And yeah, so Bombadil does not leave for the yeah. He his existence and the existence of this Undying Lands are tied together. There's a reason Frodo would have that dream in Bombadil's house. Right. There's a reason it's going to be reminded of him. Of you're going to be reminded of him here as well. Um, they are just they are linked in some way. Um, can I actually let's read that line? I was going to sort of wait on this because it is my favorite line. Let me read it here. It's my favorite line, folks. So there's your favorite line. I'll read it. And then we'll say something about it. That actually is stuff we said before, but we need to review it. Um, okay. So here's what it says. The ship went out into the high sea and passed on into the west until at last, on a night of rain, Frodo smelled a sweet fragrance on the air and heard the sound of singing that came over the water. And then it seemed to him that as in his dream in the house of Bombadil, the gray rain curtain turned all to silver glass and was rolled back and he beheld white shores, and beyond them, a far green country under a swift sunrise. All right, two things I want to say about this. One, on a personal sort of note, uh, I just want to note this. I love the uh, sort of fragrance. He smells a sweet fragrance on the air, especially after rain. And we're actually recording this. I'm down here visiting Pip. We're um, down south. Uh, I live up north. I live in New England these days. I came down, visited him down here, and uh, I grew up down here. I grew up in Virginia. And there's uh, walking around here down south again, there's such a fragrance to the air in spring uh, in the southern United States that is not present, by the way, in the Northeast. Not that, not that spring isn't lovely, but um, it's been really nice to read this chapter and also smell outside like oh, that sweet fragrance that I would imagine this kind of experience would have. So I've liked that uh, personally. On a non-personal note, though, we talked about this line way back when Frodo dreamed about it in book one. But just to recap what we talked about then. Uh, I just would note the parallels between some of the language about specifically the gray rain curtain turning all to silver glass. Um, that glass uh, language was used uh, New Testament. Um, Paul writes in the New Testament, like for now we see through a glass darkly or glass dimly, hmm. uh, but you know eventually we'll meet face to face. It's interesting, it's kind of like inverted in a way, uh, right? Glass here is used as like the pure version, and Paul's is the face to face is pure, and the the mirror or the glass is not as pure. Mm. Interesting kind of contrast there. I also mentioned back in our episodes in book one that uh, C.S. Lewis used the Tolkien image, uh, not the Paul image, mm. uh, in, in uh, Chronicles of Narnia. I know his last book there talks about how, if you ever noticed uh, looking at something in a mirror and feeling like the world in the mirror was actually more real and that that's kind of the uh, character's version of, or the character's feeling when they're in their sort of heaven in the Narnia books. Um, so it's interesting that Tolkien Lewis both using this image um, that what's in the glass is the pure, clear one and the real one in a way, and almost how that almost contradicts a little bit New Testament uh, language. On yeah, that. see, so you've I got biblical know. references to this. I got occasionally, got occasionally, I can remember a few of those things. Uh, it's an interesting line too because the sunrise part. Mm. Frodo is headed west. Yeah, I mean, you know, so right. I'm not going to like go into a. The you sun know, still rises in the east, though, in Middle Earth. Like, that's, yeah. yeah, that, yeah. So you're um, right to point this out. This is weird. You know, and maybe yeah. the boat goes. I'm not going to get into, like, the topology of, uh, right. like, um, the magic parts of Middle Earth. Yeah. But, I mean, it's worth noting that, okay, um, a sunrise feels. I guess it could be coming up behind him and the light is bathing. It, I, it yeah, must it, be, right? Like, it must be. But it but, is still on. It doesn't need to yeah. be, right? Like, it yeah. could just be the, uh, you know, he's in some place that's innocent beyond. Yeah, it, it goes back to that sort of so. what the in universe in the universe canon explanation of that versus 
uh, again, thematically, metaphorically. Yeah. Of course, the sun's rising over it in that way because it's just it probably is permanently in that kind of state. It's his heaven, his afterlife, his death, essentially. Yeah. So um, I guess I could read my favorite line. Yeah, let's do that because actually we need to wrap we're, this up. We've got to wrap this Because we got to do another one. So we'll talk about that in a second. What's your favorite line? So my favorite line is when Frodo is revealing to Sam that he is leaving Middle Earth. And so uh, he's having this conversation with Sam. And he says, So I thought too once, but I have been too deeply hurt, Sam. I tried to save the Shire, and it has been saved, but not for me. It must often be so, Sam, when things are in danger. Someone has to give them up, lose them, so that others may keep them. And I thought, wow. I love that's, that, yeah. It's, uh, I, I love how it's, drawing that distinction is important. And I think that's something, like, we've just been discussing how you can take things away from stories. I think this is something that uh, is really um, useful to have available to you, that the distinction between... Saving something and saving something for yourself. Yeah. Right. I, hey, I, I got a religious uh, reference there for you. I picked up on this. Oh, well, isn't that just the Christ myth, right? That uh, at least in the action of the crucifixion, like Christ loses that you gain, hmm. like through his death and stuff. Obviously, that gets, you know, then he's resurrected. So he's not truly losing it because he's God, whatever, you know. But the the basic message there is, yeah, you might have to lose something so for others to, to gain from it. Yeah, I'd buy that. Look at that. Look at that. Um, my MDiv now, folks. <laughs> wow, you're on a roll. Too bad we're at the very yeah. end of uh, oh, this damn. whole series. Oh, shit. All right. Uh, um, we actually are. So let's talk about this, though. This is actually not the last episode. So if you're listening along, don't worry. We have one more for you. Just as we started this series off with an introduction episode, we, we want to finish it with a conclusion episode. An um, epilogue. An epilogue, if you will. Uh, I have not decided whether I want to title it conclusion or epilogue. Um, good Latin there. Thank you. But look for that. And we'll see you then.